Hello and welcome to Talking Moves, a podcast from Greenwich Dance where dance artists come together to talk about their work and practice, things that matter and the issues which move them. I'm Melanie Precious and in this episode I'm keeping it close to home and talking with two of our Greenwich Dance artistic family about pivoting work online. Back in March 2020, Greenwich Dance were in the midst of delivering a brand new initiative for us called Up My Street, designed to address cultural inequality and support social cohesion. The concept, very much inspired by the Rural Touring Dance Initiative, was to tour twice a year to community centres here in the borough with work by world-class artists, alongside and with the communities surrounding those hyper-local venues. For our first season, we had programmed four amazing artists to present bite-sized performance within a cabaret-style setting alongside youth groups, community groups, musicians and choirs. But, like everyone else, our plans had to change and we created instead four TV-style episodes which you can still find on our digital stage, each containing interviews with the artists and an original dance for camera piece made with a community cast and all done whilst fully incarcerated in our homes. Back in the summer, I invited two of those artists to mull it all over. Sarah Blanc, performer, choreographer, comedian and presenter. Sarah creates solo work and is also artistic director of Moxie Brawl, an all-female inclusive dance theatre company. And Mathieu Geoffrey, artistic director of Rendezvous Dance. Mathieu uses dance choreography and performance as a vehicle to express values of inclusivity, diversity and harmony. This is our conversation, recorded at the end of August 2020. Hello, welcome. Thank you for being here. How are you both? Hello. I'm good. I mean, I'm currently in, in my back room in my bedroom. It's quite hot. Apart from that, I'm good. Uh, well, I'm super lucky. I am in France. I'm really, really good because I finally got the opportunity to be back in the studio with dancers uh, for the past two weeks. And I can say this is the most wonderful feeling. Goodness me, back in the studio. That's fantastic. And I wonder for how long. We're all like this, aren't we? Wondering when the next set of uh, restrictions is going to come down upon us. So we were all about to go out on tour. We had tickets uh, on sale. We had people booking. We had community uh, companies ready to join us on the tour. And then COVID struck. And we all got together and started thinking through what we might be able to do. And I remember at the time going home and my phone pinging and Sarah sending me a little text saying, are we going ahead? I think this is possible or words to that effect. Um, And I think without that, it might not have happened. Why, Sarah, did you think that it was going to work? It was such a momentous change from what we had planned. I think there's two things. One one thing was that little bit of desperation of not wanting to lose everything and I suppose all the conversations we'd had like literally just before then they were very positive and they were looking at for solutions they're very very solution focused as you are Melanie like very solution focused like right, what can we do and so I was feeling quite positive and then when it started to feel like it was slipping away there was that kind of no it can't because in my head I'd imagined how it was going to be like I was really like we can do this and I, I remember even saying I'm sorry for texting you so late but come on, I think we can do this. Yeah, so I think it was a bit of that, but also just knowing that we could do it and that there was, we were all, all of us artists were really wanting to something to happen and in whatever way that was going to be. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I think 
I mean, my, my brain was fried, I remember, that night. And, I, and actually, I looked through my text to find the message. And I'm not even going to repeat what I sent back to you because I sound so much like I was losing the plot. But there were, I think there was a kind of section of the artistic community that didn't want to create. How did you feel about that, Mathieu? I mean, you were not uh, not busy. You'd got a job in Sainsbury's. You were also doing loads of other projects. How did you feel about the pivot I think there was a sense of, when this all happened, there was a, a sense of realisation that we were about to lose everything. We were about to lose our freedom and our way of expressing ourselves, which is the reason why we do what we're doing. And there was this need to battle for finding a new way and, and, and being creative in a way that, OK, what is our new option? So there was almost this thing of overcoming the ordeal of having to work with these new conditions. OK, we, we've been taken away from the studio and from the idea of being together and what is our new way uh, you know first after realizing that we were all very late in terms of discovering new ways of working together we were very eager to actually make it happen in such a short time mm. and and it felt you know we kind of there are two ways of considering and conceiving the art of dance you know you can say like oh this is just dance let's not make it too important because this is just dance but there is also this way of being like yeah but dance can also change lives it can but the challenge that that was put to you guys was not a a small one was it it was it was first of all make a new piece but in lockdown conditions Mathieu you, you were going to be working with two of your professional dancers we'd said that we were trying to keep as many people who were going to be involved in the project still uh, employed as we could so you you were honoring that Sarah, who was going to be the host of the tour, was partnered up with our older people's group and our youth group to be working together. So you both had these different briefs. And also on top of that, asking you to involve this community cast. So you had your professional dancers for you, Mathieu, and a community cast. And Sarah had two companies that she'd never worked with before. We put you in a WhatsApp group and then left you. What was the next step for you? Well, I had chats with Roz first um, about uh, initial idea. Well, I spoke to you and Roz first. Roz was our editor. Yes. Then you asked me, how do I want to frame it? And I thought that might be nice to have like a residency. So do it as an intensive. So we worked together for a whole week. We did like, I don't know, an hour each the first two days separately with each of the groups. And then we all came together the final three days and they recorded themselves on a separate camera. Uh, so, yeah, I, I remember like not knowing how it was going to do, if it was going to work, but it was all just, let's just try this, let's come together. But that week was such a lush week, it just reminded me there's other people out there. <laughs> we all want this same connection, and we all want to keep moving. So it was a really lush time to be together. I think that's the, the key word, Sarah, what you're saying of coming together and actually trying to find a way of being together, despite the fact that we were all isolated. And that has led this whole project, I mean, for me as well, because the first thing I really wanted to do once we were introduced to the community members through the WhatsApp group was to get to know all of them and fit from that in order to actually um, create the movie and, and the dance. So finding a way of sharing our experiences and uh, choreograph that within a, a movie so coming together trying to feel connected and also reassuring ourselves and each other about the fact that we were all having a very similar experience we we all had different coping uh, mechanisms that could inspire a dance that's interesting too because I think one of the things that surprised me and I don't know why I was so surprised really was that with those same tools WhatsApp and Zoom where you get your little rectangles 
you created for, because uh, there was another two choreographers working on the project as well, four completely different films with completely different aesthetics. And there's two opposites with your two, I think, which was, Sarah, you really did build that community. You, you said that you, you did it in an intensive and you can see that community happening on, on screen. And Mathieu, yours was about dancing on your own. So your shots were your community cast on their own, very privately. And yet you called it a ceremony. So I'm really interested in both that kind of polar opposite approach that you took and the naming, a ceremony and this time will pass for yours, Sarah. Mathieu, do you want, do you want to leap in? And... Yeah, absolutely. I was interested in finding bridges in isolated experiences. So I called it a ceremony because I, I feel that we all have rituals within the day, uh, which are common to everybody. We all wake up, we all brush our teeth, have breakfast, go to work or not, you know. And those are little ceremonies that we forgot about because because it's our daily life. And then what was our new daily life now that we didn't have all of those rituals and what could be a new ritual that could link everybody together? So starting from this experience of the ritual, I wanted to call it a ceremony because I also wanted to celebrate the individual's Ceremony has something quite jovial in, it, in its title for me. I have the feeling it celebrates something. And I just wanted to celebrate this moment of uh, extreme freedom through the dancing on your own in your private space and try to turn the camera into a, a little tool that would be uh, almost unseen, a bit of a Big Brother situation, except that Big Brother, you know very much that there are millions of people watching behind the TV. But... Um, a big brother with without being aware of, of the fact that there was a camera. So I, I used to call myself uh, during this process as consider the camera as a fly on the wall, consider my eye as a fly on the wall, so you do not consider me being present with you, but trying to find uh, the freedom that is going to allow me to know more about you as an individual. And then with everybody repeating the same process, eventually I was interested in seeing whether I could actually create bridges through the editing in between the different experiences. And Sarah, did you did you find the individual within your process, do you think? I mean, that was actually one of our aims as well. But what I was wanting them to do is to actually design what the audience saw. So it wasn't about the private things that go on, but it's actually what do you want the audience to see of your home, of your movement, of your body parts. But but the idea still was to give people, a, you know, a little taste of what goes, what goes behind your closed door. I had gone in with the thought that maybe it might end up being a bit more of a funnier, comedic kind of piece. But once we started working, I was like, we've got a week to do this and actually to be able to build characters. We don't have that much time. And actually this is the kind of piece that they want to make in this week. So it ended up being um, the piece that we made, but the title came from words that the, the dancers created themselves. So we did a bit of a poetry exercise um, an exercise that I've been doing actually with a, another group with a charity I've been working with called all change arts, working with a poet called Cecilia Knapp. So I kind of, with her permission asked to use that, uh, that that's one of the same stimuluses and we, came in and they pinned each other and they spoke to each other and the question was what do you want the other person to know right now and I paired them up with Lotus with a Ditmot person Ditmot being the older group and Lotus being the younger group and that was the kind of things they wanted to tell each other so it was quite beautiful and one of the lines was this this time will pass and that's where the title came from <laughs> it was yes. so lovely just being witness to some of those messages going across the WhatsApp group as well so I'm really fascinated because we were in our individual 
rooms, our individual spaces, trying to direct all of this. And if you had been in a room with those participants, you would have had all kinds of tools and techniques, I'm sure, to make them feel comfortable, get them to know you, you to know them. How did you create that sense of enrichment for them? And how did you approach that that aspect of it with those barriers that you had uh, in front of you? In, in our intensive week, we went around and, and I just made sure that at the beginning of every session, everyone spoke about how they were doing today and what they got up to. So it just meant that everyone got heard because then once the session officially started, it was mainly me talking, me telling people to be quiet because this person needs help. This person over here's camera's not working. So for me, especially in the two days I had with just the groups on their own, it was about letting them talk, hearing about their experiences um, and letting them all hear each other so that so everyone hears each other's voice before they start. So it's not just about them in their room, that they're in a bigger room, bigger process was one thing that I did. Yeah, that's great. I um, I actually worked with them one by one. I, I've met with them all at first in order to explain what the project was and what was my intention, because I knew that I was going to actually invite myself within a personal space and I wanted to make sure that that was okay for everybody and once this introduction was made we we met one by one and the the session was always starting with how are you today who were you and who were you before COVID-19 who are you now what this event has changed in you and in your daily life and what do we want to remember what do we want to forget about from the past and from the present so after this conversation, you know, uh, of course, I was very engaged in the conversation, but I was also very much observing what was happening as we were talking and which spaces they decided to put themselves in, um, in order to kind of make decisions and try to slowly kind of invite myself within that space. There was a sense, I mean, I don't know what you think, Sarah, but I think there was a sense, um, sometimes I felt myself a bit uncomfortable having to make decisions about their space. And, you know, it's like, oh, is it okay to actually film your, in your kitchen? Are you okay with sharing this space with the audience? I felt slightly uncomfortable sometimes and I, and I needed to reassure myself by asking the participants whether they were happy with that. Did you feel that that challenge or not? I suppose I'm, I more felt just a responsibility that they were aware that their home was going to be on camera. Mm. I think I also knew that they they signed up for it. So I suppose I didn't feel that I felt responsibility to make sure that that they knew what they were presenting, to have a look around so anything, any pictures they didn't want to be seen. But apart from that, no. It is a concern, isn't uh, it? Or it's certainly um, it's something to to think about as we all look at each other and and see a little bit of your space behind you it tells a little bit more of a story about you than you might be prepared for perhaps and yeah and yes perhaps those participants might not have thought that through without that prompt so how did you get around the technology I mean we have all struggled I mean at the time we planned this project I don't think any of us had a zoom account and now you know we're, we're pros what were the differences for you in terms of the technology and the experience your community casts and your professionals had with that technology? I think there were two different, uh, I will say, challenges, which sometimes turned into frustrations according to who I was working with. So I'm someone who works very much from a physical input. I I am very physical in the studio with my uh, professional collaborators because I need to feel, you know, I stopped stopped performing very recently and... um, I trust my experience as as a performer in order to share 
with my collaborators. And and sometimes this sharing and this invitation to actually share a, an artistic journey comes from a physical perspective, which I need to, you know, I need to communicate through touching, through doing with the person within the same studio. And, and that I found that very challenging because, you know, living in a London little apartment, I don't necessarily have all the space I require in order to show or to transmit or make someone feel an energy. So that was the first challenge, you know, being behind the camera. So, you know, you place the camera somewhere in the room, but then it doesn't catch your whole body. So you need to place it somewhere else. And it takes already a good 30 seconds before you actually can show it a movement or an energy. Were you specific about those shots that you wanted, Mathieu? Did you, because your film, you know, there was a moment when it came right down into the eye and did you know that you wanted that? And Is that what you asked for or did people just send you what they had and you knitted it together? So um, that was the second challenge I was actually going to talk about, which was the actual decision making in terms of where the camera is. I would have loved to just hold the camera and be able to turn around uh my collaborators and be able to make really clear decisions because what's great with the movies and cinema in general is that additionally to what we usually do as choreographers, we can also direct the eye of the viewer by going into the tiny little detail. You know, I want you to actually see just the tip of the left finger of this performer and not having to make the decision of watching something else on stage. And so I did make some decisions that precisely uh, in order to create a narrative but I've also been in, uh, in the situation where something was just offered and something that I wouldn't have thought of and I just grabbed that and and made full use of that. To get that you gave tasks did you or, or to your I, I, I gave tasks I gave tasks we designed together after the conversation we've been talking about we've designed together a task that would actually match what I was looking for for each member. So they all had a different task. Once the task was designed and, and kind of uh, made around the personality and the history of the collaborator, we would kind of visit the space where these people were and make decisions in terms of where we put the camera. Some of them had friends to film them and to follow them. Some of them did not. So, you know, we would have to make decisions in terms of, okay, for you, it's going to be one still in this angle, filming this way. And if you could send me two or three shots, that'd be great. And I'd choose from one or the other. Some others, I've also directed their friends, actually. <laughs> wow. So time-consuming and also very specific. I mean, you were really building a rapport with those individuals as you directed them remotely through their iPhone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and with their relatives, you know, um, one of the community members, her husband just filmed the whole thing. And, and that's great. You know, that's great to also see that that created some sort of relationship that goes beyond their usual relationship through the making of this little video. And how about you, Sarah? It was a very different experience. We saw a little bit of it in the film, which I loved as you're shouting to everyone to come in or go out if they <laughs> try and get it all in unison. How did all of that map out for you? Yeah, I was determined to get all the material filmed whilst in session um, in that week. So everybody had a duet. So that was one material that was specific just to two people. And then there was three other improvs, one that was really led by me. I'd put them into two groups and I would call out what to do. And the other two were just uh, movement improvs one was looking at space how far and back you go from the camera and 
other was revealing different parts of body, like really simple tasks that we filmed. So everybody had to send me the three improvs and their duet material. So it was all kind of done in the session. I think I went in and I, I tried to set up a really specific framing that everyone would have the same framing. And it was quite clear by the morning of the, the last day of filming that that was not going to happen. So it ended up being, yeah, everyone was like, Sarah, stop trying to get us to get the same framing. We're not going to be able to get it. So it was kind of a running joke in the session by the end that I was trying to be really specific. But I actually love how they're all filmed wonky. I, I like that. It makes it more real. And they were all filmed on their camera phones. And I, I do like that about it, that it looks like it's filmed on their camera phones. Um, it makes it just a bit more a bit more raw and real they filmed themselves but I had to make sure they didn't do it on a selfie camera they did it at the the camera on the back of the thing so that was quite hard for them to be able to really get the framing because they couldn't see themselves so that took a lot of coaxing it's better quality on the other camera so on the selfie camera is less quality I don't know I think who knows that's what I I believe um when I do my own selfies uh, so, but then <laughs> I prefer to take them the other way around queen, it has to um, be said so take your <laughs> I am I'm really sad that you said that but and did you, you. find Sarah because I'm about to step into cliche when I say this but you had a group of young people and you had a group of older people were there a group that warmed more to the technology or less to the technology you know did they have devices all of them I mean, in both groups, there was issues. Um, I suppose, obviously, in the youth group, they're more used to using their phones and their cameras. Some of the older people only ever used their cameras, you know, at Christmas for taking a family photo. They didn't never use it for video before. I mean, there was one Lotus, one of the youth group members, and she, by the end of it, couldn't be in the film because she couldn't get her footage to me. So everybody, everybody had their uh, issues. To be cliche about it, yes, the youth group were more snazzy and snappy on their phones but also some of the older group were they had their own pilates classes that they are running so they already had their zooms set up so it was a real mixture really to be fair to be fair it was actually one of our over 55s that first suggested online classes to us I don't know I mean I'm sure we would have got there because everybody else got there but uh, she suggested it to us before we'd even gone into lockdown so I think you're right best not to stereotype but um, that's amazing it is challenging I mean I remember having to do a bit of footage and you know I had to get out of my pajamas for a start which you know I'd spent 10 weeks in them and not brushed my hair oh my so gosh. even that much was stressful so you know I think we do have to acknowledge we were asking people to do quite a big thing <laughs> weren't we? Um, and, and with that in mind um, one of the things that kind of crossed my desk at the time was this idea of rights and signing away moral rights we used a BBC consent form which has got horrible language in it and I felt really strange about giving that to community casts but we just didn't have the time to sort of rethink it you know as we look to the future which looks like a digital future what are your thoughts about keeping communities comfortable in this digital world that we've been kind of occupying with heavyweights like Netflix and BBC how do we make signing away their moral rights feel like oh don't worry it's you know it's only so we can use it on social media which is already such a massive thing because already social media is a a public place It, it feels like it's a public place and even if you do not have a profile a friend will have a profile or someone else will have a profile and it's, it goes very quick. So um, I think I think this is one of the new challenges that we're kind of discovering now, as you say, uh, signing moral rights for 
using your image in a public place. I don't know. I feel like there is, you know, the same way that we've been talking about entering uh, in the houses with our cameras and considering that as a way, uh, like, they've been signing up for that. You know, we have all signed up for that. So we've kind of agreed with those conditions. We knew we knew those movies were going to be actually streamed on certain platforms and so have a certain life as we decide. But there is also such a large margin of what we cannot control because once the movie is streamed once, who knows what somebody else is doing on the other side of the world with this movie. Those challenges, I think, are very similar to what happens to the cinema industry. Or Netflix is really good at that, and I don't know how much money they put in that. But, you know, like a very long time ago, a movie would get released and then someone would film it in the cinema and then would put it online. And that's it. That would be the beginning. I also think it's quite similar to being a performer in a company when, you know, there's photographers filming rehearsals there taking pictures and the company just uses like I'm guilty some of my dancers are like Sarah I've not done that piece in three years can you stop using in a jesting way but can you stop using my image I'm not in that piece anymore and my career is very different but you know companies use your image Mm. all over the place and and, and the footage gets shown I, I did feel a lot during lockdown a lot of companies started you know live streaming their work again and I wonder do the dancers get paid for their performance online to potentially millions of people you know so you're right it's really interesting that you're actually bringing it up because this is a massive uh, conversation at the moment so suppose when you're thinking that back then about people who have not signed up to be performers or be on stage all the time and now suddenly their image can be used in the internet you're right a lot of thought needs to be put into it I don't know what the answers are just yet for that but that will definitely have me thinking a lot more about that i think it comes down to um to the value we give to the digital what do you mean by that exactly and that's a very open question and i do not have a definite answer to that um, i don't know i'm just going to put it out there it feels like because it's digital then it's less precious than when it's on stage mm, that's interesting there is something less precious almost less protected because it's open because it's accessible and that's great you know we're all looking for accessibility um and it goes down to the rights of a movie that we've just made but it also goes down to what sarah was talking about live stream of performances that have been on stage in the past you know is the value different or is it not different and uh, if it's different how is it different and what are the rights around that that's interesting because I, I wanted to ask you, not quite the same thing, but very much inspired by that thought of value and digital and being out there, that the three of us and the other two choreographers as well were really thinking about our communities and building audiences for your work through the Community Centre tour. And we were listening to a podcast by a friend where Sidi Labi talked about the unit of theatres being seats and buying seats is, is the kind of the transaction, I suppose, in the unit. And I've never really thought of theatre like that before. And it made me think, what is the new unit in this world? And given the discussions that we've been having about people not getting paid when their work is going out digitally and that feeling of value, I, I wondered whether you had a thought about whether something, how valuable it is to you and what gives it the value. So if I were to put you out on a tour as I was where we were charging two pounds a ticket does that have an effect to you on the on the value you place on your work as to how we charge for it or whether it's 
you know, we had 25,000 views of those films. Is that what the value is? Where's the value for you? Well, for me, in when I'm making work, I'm more interested in work, in bringing, I know the power of performance. I know how transformative it is, whether you're in it or you're watching it. Um, for me, reaching people who wouldn't normally see it is what's important. And so I suppose I was so excited about doing the tour because it were going into places where people wouldn't necessarily go to a theatre or see live dance or performance. And that's why I was really interested in doing it. But I suppose then you could think about in terms of digital, people are more likely... I remember Nigel Charnock talking about this once. He once said that people are more likely to watch TV, in terms of arts, watch TV, read a newspaper, watch a video, go to the cinema, go to a football match, go to the theatre. I mean, not in that order, but he just, he played it really in a scale. And he was so right, like theatre, people don't normally go to the theatre that often unless they're brought up in that world. I wasn't brought up in a world of going to the theatre, but I do know how important it is. I do know how important it was when that Red Kettle Theatre Company, who was a, a local theatre company to where I came from, did a performance in my school and I remember going whoa I want to be like those weirdos like that they're they're my people that's my tribe so I know how important it is I keep saying the same thing over and over someone stop me interrupt me but well, that's, <laughs> your that's the value for me anyway that's your... um, yeah I mean I think the, the the notion of value is very personal and what is valuable for me is not necessarily valuable for someone else. You know, the value is something that you decide for yourself. Uh, the Eiffel Tower, like, it's an iconic value for someone who's never seen the Eiffel Tower and when they see it for the first time. But for a Parisian who sees it every day, it has much less value. Uh, so for me, the, the value of the work does not necessarily, cannot be uh, translated through its economic accessibility. Um, the value of the work is the experience you make of the work and almost like the experience you decide to make of the work uh, as a performer or as a viewer so it does not matter how expensive the the ticket is as long as the experience of it is uh, received with a sense of I would almost say like a sense of dignity and accepting that this moment that we're going to share together whether it's digital or in the theater is a special moment and that's something that we can try to create as makers, but this is not something we can decide for the viewers. And and the digital, you know, the digital, that's what it creates. The digital is a moment, but it's a moment within your own daily life. So you can make the decision of leaving the laptop and just going in the kitchen to sort yourself a drink and then come back to the laptop. When you're stuck in the theater, and I think that's what makes it so special as an experience, although I'm all up for the freedom of living and coming back in terms of, or maybe not coming back if you don't like it. Um, it's this place in the darkness when there is nothing else and you just have an hour to spend with a performer and and just dive in there because there is nothing else. There is no more phone. There is no more light. There is no more uh, outdoors. There is just you and an artwork being presented. Oh, he just made me feel really, oh, so oh are we ever going to get that back again? <laughs> Am I ever going to be in the theatre with yes, we will. watching a performance ever again? I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. You yes, know, that's will. something that yes, I was reading about also, like, and there's this French choreographer, Angelin Prel-Jocage. He has a very strict opinion where he says that for him, the DNA of dance is not through the digital so he does not consider that as as a way forward and, and, and that's an interesting debate i think because when we start making digital work are we actually making cinema or are we still 
making dance or is dance just the medium that we use through the art of cinema in order to express our ideas and maybe we do not have to put that in a box maybe we do not have to talk about cinema or dance but it's a hybrid it's a thing (laughs) I mean a lot of people are going I'm not going digital there's a lot of people in that headspace but I've also seen a lot of people who at the beginning of lockdown like I'm not doing anything you can't make me starting to do a little bit because you have to we have mm. to embrace it in whatever way you embrace it, small or yeah. full on, change your whole career to be online. To me, it was about survival, Sarah. I don't know how it felt, but to me, it was about, I have to do that because I need to feel that I'm surviving as an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think at the beginning, when at the first, after, after the first traumatic, the feelings, desperation that started to ease, it was about... I don't know. I'm a grafter. I'm always working and I enjoy that. I'm not someone who enjoys being still for five months. You know, I'm, I like to be doing things. That's how I relax. So if, if I'm not doing anything, yeah, I suppose it comes down to that awful ego thing of I'm not doing anything means I'm not, I'm not anybody, which we have to address as well. But it was, uh, yeah, I, I felt I had to be doing something. So I was so grateful when this up my street continued as something and I also had this one class on a Friday for an hour and a half with all change that I had and I just felt it was a bit of structure I felt I was still existing and I felt yeah that yeah but I suppose we're yeah. we're, we're probably mm-hmm. the similar but I know a lot of other people who don't think like like us yeah each to their yeah, own that's great you know it's interesting isn't it and I wonder if you said something then well both of you said it's about survival and Perhaps there's a bit of this which is about us all trying to keep that theatre world surviving. And perhaps we haven't got it right. As you said, Mathieu, there's an argument. Are we trying to put dance into cinema? Are we trying to put it in a box? Is it in the wrong space? But we tried and we tried very quickly and we're learning. And thank God we did. But what do you think, you know, as as an organisation, as artists and us working collaboratively, have you any thoughts about where we go to keep this sense of, building cultural equality in those places that are forgotten it would be so easy to just walk away from those small community centers now that everyone's focusing on whether theaters are going to get open again have you got any thoughts or anything pulling at your gut about the role of organizations and artists and how we work together to navigate our way through this unknown just a small question for you towards the end. Yeah, <laughs> my my gut feeling, my it's it's, a, it's not a small question. <laughs> my, my gut feeling is that we need to we need to be, you know, I value hugely the the physical connection, and uh, we need to be there. We need to be in those spaces. We need to go and meet and and exchange, and for us get inspired because we very much stay at home through the digital and as much as it's great as much as it's great with everything it does it doesn't replace the experience of meeting the audience and making our work accessible to them in what I was talking about you know this focused time of we have one hour we're going to have and we're going to create this amazing experience we do do not have any other choice this is this is the choice that we've made of all being together in this space at this specific time and something special is going to happen just because we made this call so my opinion is pretty radical, I have to say, <laughs> and I do think I do think it's it's crucial that we still travel to those community centres and um, offer the experience that we can offer. Yeah, I, I was going to say 
They're the people that need to not be forgotten about because they're generally the people who are alone or segregated or, you know, are not thought about by the government. Those spaces need to be kept alive because they're the first spaces that will be sold off to make to make apartment blocks or to be to make car parks. They, so they need to be kept alive and kept in use. And if we're thinking about, you know, community centres and mm. stuff like that, mm. obviously, yeah. keep the theatres alive too. <laughs> If you're yes, listening, and a government question for you about that digital world versus real world, and it was actually inspired by something that you said at the beginning, as you came in, Mathieu, about feedback and picking up on that value mm. thing. Where is the feedback for you in digital or real world? Real world, you've got your applause that tells you you've done a great job. Digital, what is it? Likes or shares, and you know. Uh, are you a digital or a real world artist? You've probably answered that actually, but what what do you feel about that? And and where where is the uh, the the feedback for you in these in these worlds? I don't think we can talk in a way of saying am I a digital or real world artist because I do think there are actually two different exercises and two different processes of creation. For and specifically for what I was talking about, you know, in terms of directing the eye of the audience, um, I will not lie, and I have been looking into. Um, how many views and you know whether it's been shared and I've been curious about that because it informs me about how much attention I can get through the digital how much attention and how much curiosity do we create through that and you know we had the wonderful Sarah being our host and 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 holding the Greenwich Dance Instagram in order to attract as many people as we could um, through the week prior to the episode and of course, we look into that. It's important for us to actually have a first knowledge of that. I did find it difficult to actually get a feedback on the work. I, I don't feel that there's been a lot of comments that I would feel fed from. So I think this is something that we can start thinking about. And um, it goes down also to the same problem with social media. As you know, you put a comment out, um, it's, it's in the public place. So of course, there are other ways. You can send private messages to the to the choreographer. You know, there are, of course, you know, I'm not, I'm not stupid, but I... I don't know, maybe it's not a way that exists yet. Maybe we're not thinking of it. Maybe we actually just watch a movie and we're not thinking, oh, I'm going to send a message to this choreographer or to this director because I really enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it and I would like to share the reasons why I didn't enjoy it. New behaviours, um, right? New, you know, new world. Yeah. Because you would go in the theatre, you enjoy the piece of work and you see the you see the maker in the lobby having a drink and you know it's a relaxed uh, environment and, and you would go to the person to just congratulate the person and eventually share a little feeling that you've been having during the performance. Would you do that online? Would you actually um, finish your episode of whatever it is and then send an email to the director? I don't, personally. But is that a behaviour that we would like to cultivate? I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, I, I think um, I had had loads of really good thoughts. They're kind of just gone now, but I'll try to get them back as I talk. And... Um, so I might be going a bit backwards, but there's so for me to answer the question, I think like you, I, I, like I'm obsessed with graphs, where how, traffic, how you get people to places. Like I'm always looking at my insights on my Instagrams, um, I'm always looking at you know behind my YouTube. Like I'm, I love all of that, and and it's always about beating the algorithm. So also we we have all these views on the videos, but also you can cheat it by boosting those posts. So we also know that 
all the views and stuff mm. that most of them may have just been that they flickered on someone's wall like do people actually watch the full video and they're the people that you want to get and gather and I think what you said Melanie it's right it's a whole new relationship with digital and if you're in the Instagram or YouTube world it is about giving your favorite YouTubers your favorite Instagrammers the likes because you know that's gonna make them go high but we don't really have go high go uh, boost them up so they're higher in the algorithm so more people see them but we're not trained like that especially in the not-for-profit dance world we're not trained in thinking about things like that so I think yes it's about we, we need to think about our relationship with digital and how you do boost it for your choreographers mm. whether it is making sure everyone, everyone needs a comment mm. yeah we, we tried it with the tasks didn't we to try and engage with people. Mm. I think that was a really good thing to do and try out. How successful it was is another thing, but I but it, it's probably a good marker of those that engaged. And that's a good place to start from to, you know, if you do it again, to work out how we really get them. It's interesting, isn't it? It's finding our way because I think when we put those tasks out, we also knew that, well, did we know? We didn't know whether people would just go, yeah, sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a go and and do it and I think there was also a bit of a misconception that everyone was sitting around really bored it was actually there was a whole swathe of people that were run off their feet homeschooling working uh, shifts yeah. you know volunteering all the rest of it and I, I think a lot of content was played at these people oh imagining them look at them you know look at the searches for cocktails that have gone up look at the searches for crocheting that's gone up mm. um but that didn't feel like our world yeah. very much yeah I was just thinking that we released the films by the end of June into July and people are already starting to go back to work. If they had been released, you know, middle of May when people were still trying to find their way. Yeah, I think you're right. People were, had already found their groove in what they were doing in lockdown or they were already starting to go back to a new yeah. life. And I wanted to open up also, you know, we, we're thinking of feedback and we're talking about feedback and the aftermath of what we put online in a digital form. We also get as artists, you know, in the in the traditional world, the world as we knew it, we also got our feedback from reviewers and from critics who came to uh, experience the work. And, you know, as much as it's a very challenging process for us it's also very informative and that's also something that you know I'd like to open up as a conversation in terms of okay our work whether it's digital or on stage is it available for critics from professional reviewers and in what is the perspective what is the angle you know I would have liked to actually offer this opportunity to someone to actually make you know make a comment as a professional reviewer on, on to the work because for me the process is as rigorous and uh, as important what do you think sarah or melanie i i do agree i'm also scared of reviews. yeah yeah of course yeah. i'm the kind of person if, if i get a review and it's bad i'm i'm depressed for like four weeks until i feel like i can be oh, yeah, seen by the world too. again because i feel i'm that important that everyone has read it and everyone is looking at bad at me um but but I, I was surprised when I started to see a dance film starting to get reviewed in The Guardian. And, I, and one of my friends, she made had a commission for an organisation and she got reviewed in The Guardian and she got four stars. So she was happy. But she was like, I didn't want this piece to be reviewed. I did not. This was a piece I was given a little bit of money for to make for this certain thing. I did not agree to be reviewed. So it's interesting 
But it could have been nice, actually, to have had them removed. That feels like a conversation for another episode that we could really delve into about permissions for people to give you feedback, how you deal with feedback. So I'm going to put that on the list of things that we should talk about in the future and say a huge thank you. Thank you both for doing this. I mean, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, asking. Sarah and Mathieu's films are still online, along with films by Temujin Gill and Zoe Golding, forming part of the Up My Street online programme. You can find them on the digital stage section of our website. Do check them out. They're all so different and we're really very proud of them, the artists and the community cast involved. If you would like to hear more episodes about subjects moving artists of today, search for Talking Moves wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. And for more information about Sarah and Mathieu, head on over to greenwichdance.org.uk. And do remember, if you know someone you think we should talk to or have a topic you'd like us to discuss, please tweet us at Greenwich Dance. But today, that's it from us. Join us next time for more Talking Moves.